In the morning, when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. Adam Candy is in today for Ed Graney, and we start the front page with some surprising UNLV basketball news from yesterday. Nick Blake is leaving the program. UNLV announced yesterday, they announced it as a mutual parting of ways, whatever that means. Um, It's May 19th. It's a little strange that it would happen now uh, and trying to figure out, like, if you're speculating, is it? Nick Blake and he looked at the roster and Kevin Kruger said, hey, you're going to have to fight for a starting spot. I I can't quite figure out exactly why Nick Blake would leave now. Like, I, I, no, no reason for him not to transfer. The rest of the roster transferred, but I can't figure out exactly why on May 18th, Nick Blake is leaving the program. Do you think Nick Blake took a look at everything that Kevin Kruger did in the transfer market and felt in some way disrespected like do you think that he somehow took it as him being layered out and bringing in more guys who were going to take away what he thought was potentially as he watched everyone else leave the program his opportunity for a much bigger role yeah michael nuga's in from kent state who scored 17 a game justin webster's in from hawaii who scored uh 12 a game last year and then you've got like a donovan williams is coming in who is you know one of the big 12 transfers that's hoping to have a bigger role. Uh, and then uh, Josh Baker is the Juco transfer who shot it really well from three. I, I think that's possible uh, that Nick Blake was at, at one point in this offseason expecting to be like the go-to guy, the number one option on offense. And then, you know, with the addition of four new wings, one of which has scored 17 points at the at the uh, Division One level, that maybe Nick Blake is I don't looking at it and saying, oh wow, it's not going to be as as easy for me to take that number one spot as I thought. Or maybe Kevin Kruger even said to him, hey, you know, we're not going to start you, or you're going to have to fight your way through it. I don't know the because uh, the only other thing I could think of was somebody got to Nick Blake and said, hey, we've got a spot for you uh, at this program, and that's better than UNLV. That's the only thing I could think of that on May 18th he would decide to leave UNLV. Like, it's just, it's very bizarre to me. And the other part is the mutual parting of ways that's kind of bizarre. Because if you're UNLV, I I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't want to keep Nick Blake around. So that was an interesting way to phrase it. Because normally, it's just player announces he's in the transfer portal. There's not a press release announcing a mutual parting of ways. Yeah, a mutual parting of ways is never a mutual parting of ways. Like, one person in the relationship says we agreed to break up, and the other one says they broke up with me. Like, that doesn't really happen in real life. So your situation where you said, did someone get in Nick Blake's ear and say there's a better opportunity for him, if that were the case, then Kevin Kruger would be exceptionally generous to give him the mutual parting of ways language to leave with, because otherwise I would say, oh, you have a better opportunity, then you can go ahead and say you decided to leave the program in May. Yeah, it's strange. I yeah, it, it's just bizarre. And and I'll say this for UNLV, like it sucks. I don't know that the roster's necessarily worse now than it was at the end of the season, but UNLV lost everything. And it's not that they had a good team, and it's not that you had to keep that roster together or even most of it, but 
they had decent players. Like, they had role players on that team that would have been helpful to competing in the Mountain West. And they lost all of them. They have lost 96% of their scoring from last year's roster, which is just, it, it's an unbelievable number to lose 96% of your scoring from one year to the next. Tyler, Kevin Kruger was hired off TJ Otzelberger's staff <laughs> with one word being emphasized over and over again by Desiree Reed Francois in a process that she said included at least, what, 14, 15 different coaches who interviewed for this job. I have to assume Kevin Kruger was at the very low end of experience because of what one word? Continuity. Continuity. There is no continuity on this roster this year. And so the safety net that would have been there for Kevin Kruger is completely gone. Like the idea that Kevin Kruger kept the roster together and because he kept the roster together, we look at year one as saying, okay, this is part of a much bigger plan that Desiree Reed Francois has handed down for the program to say, I want continuity and this team to try to grow together. What are you growing together? You basically went full mercenary. This makes the first year for Marvin Menzies look like continuity. She wanted continuity ball screens. Oh, sorry. Should have filled me in on that. And I, listen, as somebody who likes uh, basketball strategy, that's a good joke that only I got. Only you. Yes. Right? Yes, only you. Next question. Spencer Turnbull. No hit the Mariners last night. Um, two walks prevented it from being a perfect game. Should we still count no hitters against the Mariners? The Mariners are a team that might want to petition Rob Manfred to start a runner at second every <laughs> inning. Because they still the, wouldn't score it. <laughs> they're hitting below 200, Tyler, as a team. They are currently hitting sub 200. I watched the last two innings of that game, and I knew who Mitch Hanniger was. And other than that, Whoa, I'm Kyle like, who is Marmalejos? Like, that roster is completely filled with players I've never seen before. Even when the Tigers came out to celebrate, I was like, oh, there's Miguel Cabrera, right? Like, I recognize a few players on the Tigers. Who the hell are the Seattle Mariners? Uh, you mentioned they're hitting under 200 as a team. It's funny because as an Astros fan, I get mad that, like, Miles Straw is our center fielder. Miles Straw is hitting 222 on the year. Like, Miles Straw might be the best leadoff option if he was on the Mariners. Yeah, Miles Straw is someone who I think the Mariners would feature, and <laughs> he would be like D. Gordon stealing 60 bases because the Mariners, if they get a runner on, that runner better go and try to steal second and third and consider home. Great question. The Celtics beat the Wizards 118 to 100 last night. Jason Tatum had 50 points. And I'll, and I'll say this about the play-in games. Uh, the Lakers have a chance to win the championship, but I think most years we're going to have teams that have zero chance of actually winning an NBA title. It's a strange year with LeBron and the Lakers being in it. But I think the part of it that I like and enjoy is you get to see the star power of a Jason Tatum or a Russell Westbrook, or like we'll see tonight with LeBron and Steph and even John Morant. You get to see the star power that's great about the NBA in sort of these one-game playoff scenarios. I know the 7-8s aren't actually eliminated if they lose, but you get to see the star power in those one-game scenarios, and I, I enjoy that. Even if most years we're not going to see these teams actually win a series after this, 
I enjoy the sort of one-off, hey, here's a star player on a team that's not actually that good, but they're playing in a game that matters and Jason Tatum goes for 50. The play-in tournament is fun, and I like fun, despite what you might have heard earlier on the show. <laughs> and I think the play-in tournament is one of the best ideas the NBA has ever had because you make the end of the regular season matter. And what you also do is you guarantee that a team that's playing well at the end of the season is not penalized for how it played earlier on, right? This is how we do it when it comes to the NCAA tournament. We look at the field of 68 and we say, okay, one of the determining factors we have is how have you played down the stretch versus how did you play early on? So the play-in tournament allows you to have a situation where a player like Steph Curry can be hurt for a good part of the season. And instead of going in and feeding the Warriors directly to the Jazz and saying, good luck stopping this three-point shooting, you at least give them an opportunity to play their way into a better seed, to, to take a team that might finish in that 9-10 situation and give them a realistic opportunity. And I love it because it's not like you just take 7 versus 10 and give the 10 seed an opportunity to knock out the 7. No, you have incentive to play for the 7 and the 8 so that you can get that extra game of cushion in case you lose the first one. Everything about it is great. Next question. The Wizards, who lost, will play the Pacers uh, for the eight seed in the East because the Pacers beat the Hornets 144 to 117. And if you knew nothing about the NBA and hadn't watched a single second of it this year, you would have thought the Indiana Pacers were the greatest offensive team in the history of the sport with the way they shot and scored. Doug McDermott was the first player all season. Doug McDermott to score 14 points in the to score 14 points in the first five minutes of a game. I, like that's the perfect example of one game scenario, one game elimination. A team like the Pacers, who I think were like 14th or 15th in offensive rating over the regular season, can just be unbelievably hot. And the Hornets had no chance. He's still in the league. He started last night. Tyler, the Indiana Pacers were three-point favorites with Karis LeVert in the lineup, and then somehow, <laughs> before the most important game of the season. Karis LeVert managed to get banged in the health and safety protocols and is now out for weeks. And they went down to basically one-point favorites against the Charlotte Hornets and then came out and Dougie McBuckets <laughs> ran him off the court. Come on, you've got to be kidding me. That should never, ever happen. I don't care who DeMontis Sabonis is. The Indiana Pacers put up 144 without their highest volume scorer and after having traded Victor Oladipo early in the year. It's insane. Uh, the one thing that I spent the uh, third quarter of this game Googling was who is O'Shea Brissett because he ended up scoring like 23 in this game. The Pacers signed O'Shea Brissett to two 10-day contracts this year. He played a total of six games in those 20 days, averaged eight points in 4.8 minutes. So naturally, after that, the Pacers gave him a three-year contract. Uh, well, but then he scored. Also, but then he scored twenty-three points in his first game after that three-year contract, and just put up twenty-plus in a play-in play game. No, see, but this isn't actually the most important thing about uh, O'Shea Brissett. You might not know this. He actually used to have a casino on the Strip. Don't you remember? Did you ever go to the O'Shea's? Or that was probably uh, before your time, huh? I think that was a bad joke. I did not enjoy that one as much as a continuity ball screen joke from Jared. Okay. But that's not surprising <laughs> at all because you have no frame of reference for anything nope. outside of what appears inside a synergy screen. Hey, I am watching Game of Thrones right now. I got the Red Wedding reference earlier right, in the show. Right, right as it's culturally relevant. Tyler is <laughs> in on Game of Thrones. Man, you know, that's a great question. 
The Las Vegas Aces beat the Seattle Storm 96-80 to in a must-win game. Jared, you watch more of this than me, so what the hell happened? They, oh, it, I was joking on Twitter mostly because I thought it would be funny to do a bit where I would sound like I was talking about the Golden Knights and then end it with the Aces. No, it was literally the Storm couldn't, couldn't buy a, th- like they couldn't buy a three and the Aces kept coming up with boards. To the point that it was, like, kind of infuriating to me that I was like, okay, that's going in. You're wide open. But nope. Oh, okay. I eight. Asia Wilson's got the ball. Okay. Fine. They beat the Storm. WNBA champs. Um, Adam, I said uh, that this was a must win for the Aces because they can't beat the Storm. And they won it. So they can win the WNBA title now. If Jackie Young's going to go out and put up 21, yeah, they're going to have a much that? better chance of doing that. That was the <laughs> other thing. I kept, like, see, I was like, how is she getting to the rim? It just would go past people. Yeah, they're they're good when they get layups. Because every time they were on my third screen last night, every time I looked down, the Aces either had a transition layup or Liz Cambage was just standing at the rim laying it in. Was every that time was, I looked down. Every time I, every time Liz Cambage had the ball, I would look up and go, "Well, that's a foul." Oh no! By the way, no, it, no, it isn't. Okay. Is your third screen like like? Uh, five-year-old Amazon Fire. What are you doing with that? Oh, it's it is it is an Amazon Fire. It's a year-old, but not five years. But yeah, it's it's it is. You actually nailed that. I'm surprised at how accurate that was. Yep, knew where I was coming from that time. Very proud of myself. I'm out. Mark Andre Fleury is the Golden Knights nomination for the King Clancy Trophy. I will le- read to you. The King Clancy Memorial Trophy is a sports award given annually to the NHL player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and who has made a significant humanitarian contribution to his community. Leadership qualities on and off the ice. That brings us to today's edition of Things Tyler Can't Say. Um, I guess that leadership qualities off the ice somehow does not include your agent tweeting out a picture of the head coach sticking a sword through your back because he started the other goaltender during the bubble. So I find it just a little bit strange in this particular year that Marc-Andre Fleury, who by most accounts is a pretty good dude, is nominated for the King Clancy in a year where his agent put a sword through his back with the name of the coach on it. The best that leadership. This edition of things Tyler can't say. The best leadership styles are always controversial, Adam. You just don't understand it. You just can't see the greatness of Marc Andre Fleury's leadership. All right, coming up next, we'll jump in on the Raiders. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702 720 I just cringe when I hear stuff like that. Not that not that a player shouldn't be accountable for poor play on the field, and you know Carson has to answer to that, and he and he has answered to it. And until you get out there and prove otherwise, that that's what you live with. I just know that playing the position of quarterback, there's so many factors that go into it. We've talked a lot about why the poor play last year. I'm just very confident that he has a team around him. It's just, I think the culture fit is, and again, it's, you guys know how I feel about the Eagles and how highly I think of that organization. But sometimes in sports, it's just one of those transitions that I think is going to end up being good for both organizations. I think it's going to be good for Carson. You know, I, I think we got to be patient with it. I think it's, it takes a little bit of time, just like it took Philip a minute and Jacoby a minute. You know I mean, so I'm confident we got the right player. 
break talking about Carson Wentz, the new quarterback for the Colts, who was definitely broken last year. He absolutely was broken. Uh, but want to spend a little bit of time on the Raiders. First off, Pro Football Focus put out a uh, simulation of the season. Thousand times they simulated it to come up with average wins and how often you make the playoffs. And I got to say, I was surprised that the Raiders came in 48% of the time making the playoffs and projected at 9.1 wins. They were projected to have more wins and make the playoffs more often than the Chargers and the Broncos in the AFC West and have ultimately the sixth best odds to make the playoffs in the AFC Find Kansas City, Buffalo, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Tennessee. I, I thought that schedule. was a, I thought that was an optimistic simulation for the Raiders. When I just did a quick run through their schedule and marked down, all right, do I think this is a win? Do I think this is a loss? As of May, I got them for eight and nine. So I don't think nine is completely unrealistic. I think if you're going to talk about the part about the Chargers and the Broncos, you would look right now and say that any simulation is going to base heavily on quarterback play. And right now, as we sit here in May 2021, Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Justin Herbert and whoever the Broncos decide to throw out there, <laughs> assuming it's Teddy Bridgewater. Why can't it be Drew Locke? Let it be Drew Locke. That'll be more fun, won't it? Of course it would be more fun, especially if you're a Raiders fan. <laughs> Why? Have, watch a Drew Locke carve up that secondary isn't going to be any fun. Drew Locke loves to throw the ball down the field, and he has about as much idea where it's going as Randy Johnson did his first year in the league. <laughs> um, so <laughs> when we when we predicted, Ed, Jared, and I predicted the win totals for the Raiders, I think Ed came up with eight wins like you did. I had him at seven. Uh, Jared obviously had them at 0-0 and 17 because... That'd be a good record for the Raiders. Be one they'd of their make best the seasons. Playoffs. Yeah, that'd be one of their best seasons at 0-0 and 17. So I I don't think nine is by any means out of the question. I think the Raiders are ultimately somewhere between six and eleven and gonna fall at seven or eight more than likely. I just I don't know. I was a little surprised that they were, you know, forty eight percent of the time making the playoffs. And ultimately, I mean, seventh best odds in the AFC. Seven teams make the playoffs, so I I thought it was overly optimistic given how much we saw the Raiders' schedule, and it's one of the five most difficult, and you know how are you going to beat the Chiefs a couple of times or even contend in that division? I just thought it was optimistic the Raiders had even that good of a chance to make the playoffs this year. Think about it, though. If you were to remove divisions from the equation, right? If you take division winners out of it and just say, let's look at who they play and how many wins we think they're going to have and run the playoff odds, then you would give the Raiders a better chance because you might look at the AFC South. We just heard from Frank Reich. You might look at the AFC South and say, can we just petition Roger Goodell for none of these teams to make the playoffs? <laughs> because there's not one of them that clearly deserves to be in maybe Tennessee. But otherwise, like this Houston? is a division that should probably be playoff free. And you look at the East and say, all right, Buffalo. And then there's not anything that's close to a sure thing for the playoffs in that division after the Bills. So... Then you come and say, all right, you, you have the North and then you have the West. Realistically, if I look at it right now and say the Raiders have the seventh best chance to make the playoffs out of every team in the AFC, what's the band on that between five and nine? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Yeah, that, that, I think that's a fair way to put it, uh, that the the range they're in isn't, isn't too far away from seven. Um, so... Are the Raiders going to make the playoffs, Adam? Like, I don't I don't think they are. That's why I'm still shocked by it. Like, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. So, like, do you think you've had them at eight wins, which eight and nine probably isn't putting them in. So, 
I assume you don't think they're making it. No, I don't think they're making it. And in part, that's because I still believe that Aaron Rodgers is not starting the season in Green Bay. Uh, I think that the Broncos still make a ton of sense to make a deal for him. And I think that, of course, makes the Broncos much more challenging. I also don't think that John Gruden is going to win a lot of close games. I think we've seen from the Raiders that their ability to perform down the stretch is minimal under Gruden. And so you look at the fact that they probably what you're going to look at the schedule and say, there are six games they're probably going to win for sure. There are six games they're probably going to lose for sure. And then you take the other five and split them up and say, what will happen in a close game? And I think two and three is pretty realistic under what we've seen with this regime. Wait, what is their record going to be before they finish the season like one and five? Oh, great point. I forgot they don't close <laughs> at all. Uh, John, John Gruden is uh, the, the equivalent of baseball's Mr. May. Yeah, so I think the... <laughs> The Raiders going eight and nine still feels like accounting for the talent, the schedule, and the fact that they don't win close games. I thought he was going to say accounting error. (laughs) Uh, So basically what you're saying is an eight no start to the season followed by nine straight losses to miss the playoffs. Well, I think what it's going to be is a 7-1 and one start, and then you'll have a bunch of games like the Dolphins game from last year where they're clearly on the way to winning a game, and then Jonathan Abram is going to launch himself at an angle parallel to the ground with his helmet into a quarterback and lose them a game, right? Like, that's going to set off the entire losing streak. Hey, they also might be down 7 and kick a field goal. <laughs> Entirely possible. No one loves his field goals more than John Gruden. And hey! Daniel Carlson's a pro bowler. Yeah, listen, Jared, not just any field goal, a 19-yard field goal. Down seven in the fourth quarter. You have on to the take one those, yard line. You have to take those 19-yard field goals anytime you can get them. All right, coming up next, a slight change. Jason Fitz is out today. Mike Gramala is in. We're going to yell at him uh, probably about food, but also see what he thinks about Nick Blake suddenly leaving UNLV. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is Mike Grillmala. Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? We need to get him another taco. Mike Gramala from the Las Vegas Sun is here. Um, all right, Mike, I, I need help with this one. Nick Blake and UNLV, they announced they are mutually parting ways yesterday. Why now? It's it's weird. It's, uh, it's a little bit strange. It, this is definitely not uh, something that I expected. It came as a, a surprise to me. Um you know, most of the other players that left during the offseason, you could see that coming. It was pretty expected. Um, we didn't, nothing really caught us by surprise. But Nick Blake, from what I understood, was excited about the Kevin Kruger hire. He was someone who wanted to stay with the program. Um, so I don't know what happened between, you know, in the past month or two that where his status changed. Um, Maybe UNLV. Maybe they needed the roster spot. Maybe something came up. But yeah, I was I was uh, taken by surprise by that announcement. So, Mike, we talked a little bit earlier about all of the transfers coming in. Was there any chance that Nick Blake 
might have started out excited about the Kevin Kruger hire and the chance to stick with a coach he knows and then looked at everyone else who was brought in, maybe saw that his role wasn't going to be quite what he thought it was going to be? I don't know because they haven't, if you look at the players they brought in, they haven't really brought in a ton of guys who play his position. Like they brought in Donovan Williams, who's another like 6'6 wing type player. But besides him, there's really no one else that fits that mold. They brought in a bunch of smaller guards who are, you know, combo guard type size. They brought in some big men who are fours and fives. But they, you know, Nick Blake, I didn't think was really um, challenged directly by players that they brought in. So I don't know. Maybe maybe this, they worked out as maybe it's about his role. Maybe it's about his minutes. Maybe it's about something like that. Um, or maybe UNLV does have, they still have one open scholarship. They had one before this move. Now they have two. So it's not like, I can't imagine that they had a recruit that was, that's on the, that was on the line where they said we need to open a spot because they already had one. So I don't know. It's, it's a strange situation. I just, I just know that Blake was, when they made the move, he was excited to be here. He was a Kevin Kruger fan. And uh, like, he was happy that he wasn't going to have to transfer. Like he's, you know, he was, all in on UNLV. So something happened in the past two months to change that. What do you make of the way this was announced in terms of a press release from the school saying it was a mutual parting of ways where normally we just get the player tweets, hey, I'm leaving UNLV or I'm entering the transfer portal. Like, what do you make of the way this was announced? It makes me think that there was some, that the program had some hand in his exit. Whether it was, you know, something behind the scenes where they um, you know, kicked him out of the program or, you know, which is complete speculation. Like, I'm just throwing out scenarios. But there, it makes me think that it wasn't a situation where Nick Blake just, you know, made up his mind on his own and then went to the team and said, hey, guys, I'm going to transfer. This is something that the team was actively involved in in uh, helping him out the door. So that's what I drew from that press release. Mike, Tyler's thrown the stat out about 96% of the scoring leaving from last year's roster. And we talked earlier about continuity having been the buzzword for Desiree Reed Francois in hiring Kevin Kruger. So how will that continuity show through for UNLV <laughs> with so many new players? I guess they're referring to the continuity on the coaching staff because they, you know, your your head coach is someone who's been here for a couple of years. They kept one of the assistants. Um, I don't know if you really wanted continuity on the, the roster, given uh, the way the season went last year and what we saw from the players on, on last year's roster. Um, but, yeah, that's, I mean, there's no way to, to, to paint you know, 11 newcomers in one season, in one offseason, as any type of continuity. It's basically an expansion team. So, yeah, continuity is not going to be a factor in, in when – if Kevin Kruger wants to use the excuse where, you know, where uh, guys are just getting to know each other, we're still learning how to play together, um, you're probably going to hear that a lot. Oh, can't wait for that. It's going to be a great excuse, isn't it? I, I will say the one excuse we can have is they're not his guys. Like this, he can't say these aren't his guys. The whole roster are his guys now. Yeah, but you know, the thing is coaches never overtly say that anyways. Like they, you know, like if, T.J. Otzelberger has a rough first year. He doesn't come out and say, well, these are Menzies' guys. You know, I didn't pick these guys. They don't really say that on the record, whereas no, they all stop. say, we're still young, we're still learning how to play together, which, of course, applies to 100% of all college teams. But I think you may hear that even more from UNLV this year if oh, things don't start out uh, 
if they don't get it to a hot start. Uh, I know you, uh, you've done, you started your player breakdowns. You're going to have a lot of them because the entire roster's new. Uh, after reading what you wrote about Jordan McCabe, the transfer point guard from West Virginia, is he just a slightly better version than Marvin Coleman? Yeah, that's, that might be a good way to put it. He's someone that you can trust with. If you want to play him at point guard, I think you can trust that he can handle the position. Like he has the point guard qualities where he can, you know, bring the ball up court. You know, UNLV went through some times last year when getting the ball up court was tough. If other teams wanted to put pressure on, we saw it against Utah State when they had a big lead that was, that was uh, that they almost blew in the final minutes because they couldn't get the ball up court. They just didn't have it, have anyone that could reliably handle the ball against pressure. So you know, in that sense, he gives them someone that can do that. But in terms of you look at the rest of the roster and the way they're building it, with they want athletes all over the floor, they want quickness, they want length. And he really doesn't fit into that mold. So I, I, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be, but uh, he's someone that you can give him the ball and, you know, one defender is not going to impede his progress up the court. What is Kevin Kruger basketball best as you can glean from what you've heard so far? It's defense. It's, it's long, athletic players. It's guys who are uh, around the rim who can – block shots, who can play vertically uh, on offense. It's guys who can turn the corner athletically, guys who are quick on the ball, guys who can, you know, make plays. It's a, a far cry from it's, – it's interesting because it's a, it's a different – it's a very different philosophy than what we saw in the T.J. Offenberger, who was all about skill. He really didn't care if you could run or jump as long as you could shoot the ball and pass the ball. Whereas Kruger, I think we're seeing – kind of the, the opposite, where he, he wants guys that can run and jump. He wants to look like San Diego State. He wants big athletes, guys who are bigger, quicker, faster, stronger than you, to overwhelm you. And uh, that, except for Jordan McCabe, he's the one guy who stands out, but everyone else sort of fits that mold. Uh, all right, please explain, please paint the situation for us. Uh, you tweeted, just single-handedly pushed a women's car off the street after it broke uh. down in traffic. Uh, I, that's it, man. It was a it was a heroic moment for me. Um, it was a, a woman's car that was pulled over in the. It was in traffic. It was in the. It was two lanes. She was in the right lane, and I drove by her slowly. And uh, it was not a high traffic area, but there were cars coming by. And she said, "Hey, my my car broke down. Can you help me?" I said, "Of course I can." So I got out, started pushing. Slight uphill grade, which I didn't mention in the tweet. You know, <laughs> but uh, we got it done. It's a uh, yeah. It was a, a woman who was she was driving and steering it while I pushed, and then um, I think it was her mother was standing outside, and she asked if she needed. If she said, you know, do you need my help? I said, no, ma'am, that won't be necessary. I've got this. <laughs> um, but if you want to shoot a video of me doing it, so you know, I can show people. You know, I wouldn't mind that. And she just laughed. But I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really joking. But, just, but <laughs> did you get the number? Down. I pushed it. I probably pushed it about fifty feet. Did you get her number? No, <laughs> no, no. So these Mike, were, um, they were a, a little bit older. Well, I mean, don't discriminate, Mike. Yeah, but if on, you well, were, um, you're not getting any younger. Right? That's why I pushed it for them. I mean, if they were, you know, young. Oh, healthy, a young woman, you would have left to do it herself. I got it. <laughs> Chivalry's dead. Yeah, I got it. I, I'm clear on that part. Question for you, Mike. Had they offered to say, oh, thank you so much. Let me, 
let me just buy you a meal to say thanks. What, what meal? And let's go down to 7-Eleven, get me a loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter. What? My. I'll, I'll do it myself. No. I bet I'm a peanut butter chicken. Mike, if somebody helped me fix my car on the side of the road and then I tried to buy them a meal and they said, oh, just buy me a loaf of bread and some peanut butter, I would, ass- I would assume like they were homeless or something. Like I would be scared of you at that point. No, for real, I would, if, if, I would say Outback Steakhouse probably. You know, that's my spot. Um, probably get some of that, that grilled chicken, mashed potatoes from Outback. The chick- I guess if you want to go high class, but I really just high want the class sandwich. I've been I've been killing the peanut butter sandwiches lately. Oh my god! I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to do with you. Um, so I do I do need to ask though, just in general, like why did you stop specifically for this car? Because I'm going to assume you don't normally pull over and stop for any car you see on the side of the road. Because I was close to my destination, anyways. It was sort of like pulling into. Um, it was like a turn lane for a parking lot that I was going into. So I had to pull around them and then pull back into the lane to get into the parking lot. And as I was slowly going by them, I stopped and I was like, hey, are you guys okay? He said, my car broke down. Would you help us push it? I was like, yeah, sure. So I went and parked my car and I came back and then I pushed them out of the way. So um, it was right there anyways. Like if, if we're talking like the middle of the highway at rush hour, I'm flying right by and I'm not thinking twice about it. But because I was already there and I was already probably getting out of my car right next to them, you know, time to roll up the sleeves and get some work done. I got to say, I am thoroughly disappointed she did not shoot a video of this because I would have enjoyed you tweeting out the, not just tweeting about it, but tweeting out the video of you pushing the car 50 feet. I tried. I I said it kind of like half jokingly, but really I wanted her to shoot the video, (laughs) but she she laughed. (laughs) Oh, Mike. You're wonderful. He's Mike Gramala from the Las Vegas Sun. Follow him on Twitter, at Mike Gramala. We appreciate it, Mike. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Adam, I'm curious. If you had to, like, let's let's, uh, hypothetically here, you were setting Mike up on a date. How would you describe him to a potential date? It's not my responsibility whether you like him, (laughs) but he's single. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so the same way that uh, you recommend me to women. Oh, no, no, Jared, there's so much more to say, but, uh, but, but a man who wants to go to 7-Eleven for a loaf of bread and peanut butter <laughs> is not someone I can endorse. I'm just being like, hey, this is a man who has assured me he's single. Any evaluation from this point on is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. All right, coming up next, we're pretty sure Tony LaRusse is the worst human in Major League Baseball. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Fred is back. The Dodgers did win last night. So, Fred, where would you like to go today for your pick? Uh, Last night I was going to take the Knights, but I didn't because I was going to jinx them. So I didn't take the Knights. But tonight I'm going to go with the Lakers. Okay, so the Lakers are minus five and a half. So Lakers minus five and a half sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, Lakers in at minus five and a half. Good luck, Fred. If you win, we'll be talking to you again tomorrow.
You can hear the Lakers tonight right here on ESPN Las Vegas. It starts at 7 o'clock. Lakers and Warriors in the 7-8 play-in game. But more importantly than that, Adam, did you have a middle of May as when Tony LaRusso would remind us all that he was managing about 30 years ago and still wants to be managing about 30 years ago? Middle of May does feel a little bit generous. I kind of figured it would happen sometime during spring training. <laughs> so this backstory here is one of the White Sox. Well, he's been one of their best players this year. Your main Mercedes. Um, he hit a home run off Williams Astudillo in the ninth inning two days ago. Williams Astudillo is not a pitcher. He is a position player. It is a blowout, and the Twins put a position player on the mound. So Mercedes hits a home run off of him on a 3-0 count. Tony LaRussa, his quote after that was, he made a mistake. There will be consequences he has to endure here within our family. That was before the teams played again last night. And then in the fourth inning last night, Tyler Duffy of the Twins threw behind Mercedes. Duffy ended up getting ejected. And Tony LaRussa, after the game, said that he had no problem with how Minnesota handled the situation. I I mean, I listen, I know it's the same take that almost everyone has had about Tony La Russa so far, but I feel like it's a very important take to have on this. Tony La Russa is a moron, and this is not how baseball should be played. A guy hitting a home run on a 3-0 pitch from a position player should absolutely never be punished. Anytime you hit a home run, it should not be punished. And for Tony La Russa to A, say his player is going to have to face consequences from within his own family, and then B, defend the Minnesota Twins for throwing at one of his players because Tony La Russa thinks that's how the unwritten rules of baseball should be policed. I Like, if I ran the White Sox, well, I never would have hired him in the first place, I would fire Tony La Russa today. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> Did you see the reports of the interview of what happened between Tony La Russa and your mean Mercedes. I did not. What happened between okay. the two of them? Okay. So this is, this is Tony La Russa and, and what he said to your mean Mercedes. Tell me if this changes your opinion at all. He said, do you see my ring? I'm a hall of famer baseball person. <laughs> I'm legit. I'm a hall of famer brother. You're trying to embarrass me. I hate you. <laughs> oh, wait, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm that was a different article. Uh, that's actually what Tony Larusa said to the officer who arrested him for DUI back in November. Um, so it's obvious that you know Tony Larusa was pulled over in a car, drunk. I mean, he was already stopped, and the officer got to him and was charged with DUI. So we know he's not particularly clear on the rules. Like he thought that hey, it might not be a rule to where you can be drunk in your car if you're not driving your car, right? So he's not really a rules guy per se. So if he doesn't <laughs> totally understand the unwritten rules, I can give Tony Larusa a pass on this one because he's a Hall of Famer baseball person. Well, actually, it's funny baseball because he wants <laughs> he wants to enforce the unwritten rules of baseball but wants to ignore the actual written rules of real life. And baseball, because uh, we remember from <laughs> earlier this year that he admitted he did not know uh, one of the written oh. rules of baseball. <laughs> yes. So keep in mind. Wait, who's that on the, second? <laughs> yeah, keep in mind that the only reason that we are having 
Tony Larusa, noted multiple time DUI offender, foisted upon us again, is because Jerry Reinsdorf is old. Like as old as we think Tony Larusa is, Jerry Reinsdorf is older and does not give one flying f about what anyone else thinks. And he said. My buddy is coming to manage the Chicago White Sox. And here's the thing. The roster is so damn good I know. that it's going to be <laughs> so almost annoying. impossible to get rid of Larusa because on what grounds would you fire him? They're still playing well. Right. They're good. They're going to be good. And and the thing is like I like the, like I I like the White Sox. Like they're a fun team. But damn it, why is Tony Larusa in charge? It's uh it's brutal Man, that they're good with like him in charge. It'd be like bringing Dusty Baker to one well, of the the most amazing stat about Dusty Baker and Tony Larusa is that Tony Larusa managed Dusty Baker. <laughs> Dusty Baker was a player on a team that Tony Larusa managed. Like you think Dusty Baker's old and Tony Larusa was his manager once. It's unbelievable. Like I I don't I don't want Tony Larusa to have any success, but he's having way too much this year and I I don't know. Like the Here's the thing. I don't know if I believe in like you have to you don't have to like your manager for your team to actually be successful, but like uh, the idea of losing the locker room. I I'm curious how many players on the White Sox like see Tony the Russa say that and either agree with him or at least like ignore it versus how many of them are like what? You don't want him to hit a home run in the ninth inning? Like what is your like I'm very curious what the actual player's reaction was to Tony the Russo basically throwing your mean Mercedes under the bus. And look at how his teammates reacted. Tim Anderson openly on Instagram backed up your mean Mercedes and said to him, you keep doing you. Lance Lynn talked to the media last night and said, once a position player is on the mound, all of this is fair game. Nothing matters. There are no unwritten rules. Even the unwritten rules that Tony Larusa <laughs> thinks he's enforcing, his own players, a veteran like Lance Lynn, is saying, yeah, that's not a rule. And you and I, Tyler, the guys who love fun in baseball, we love fun. Williams Astudio. Oh, he's La great. Tortuga. Oh, I love this guy. Honest to God, Tyler, there was something in the range of 500 pounds of baseball player in this exchange <laughs> between Williams Astudio and Yermin Mercedes. It was hilarious. And I didn't I didn't hear anyone complaining that Williams Astudio got on the mound and threw a 45 mile an hour moon ball. No one complained about that. He didn't say he was showing up the hitter by tossing him a slow pitch softball. Shut up, Tony Larusa, and get the hell out. Adam Candy is shutting up and getting the hell out because Adam will not be joining us for the rest of the show. Adam, thank you. We appreciate this uh, short notice two-hour fill-in for the missing Ed Grady. Anytime.